This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah, <laughs> did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. For this episode, I got the chance to sit down in person with my friend and podcast host, Cleo Wade. So far, I've read Cleo Wade's new book, Remember Love, two times, and it just officially comes out today. My conversation with Cleo is wide-ranging, as our conversations tend to be. She told me about the personal moments that led up to her conceiving this book and why she first wrote on a post-it note to herself, please remember love. We've talked about how she's made friendship such a central tenet of her life. And I got a moment to reflect on what makes her such a tremendous friend to me and many others. Another thing I admire about Cleo is her particular way of making things feel both simple and revolutionary at the same time. She has such a gift for reframing the big concepts of our lives in a way that is so resonant, it really allows us to wrap our minds and souls around them. I hope hearing from Cleo today helps unlock something for you, too. So let's begin. I feel like with this book, I've been so confronted with like actually living what I'm talking about rather than like talking about it. There's few things I feel like I write where I'm like, wow, that was like, I can't believe I thought of that or wrote that. But because obviously also nothing's new in life. Like, you know, from reading a million spiritually rooted books, it's like all you can think about is like, how do I speak to who people are right now? Or how do I like whether you're making something? How do I make the products or the things that speak to people right now? But gutturally, people have always wanted the same things or hear the same words. And it's all the same. But we are just kind of able to interpret it in different ways, given technology, given how we're communicating, di given different types of connection, communities. And how like you as an artist are interpreting it at that time in your life, having like lived whatever, and then it resonates differently like, yeah. through that. And by being a listener, yeah. like 
you know, it's like the first thing you do, and I think this is why you have so many amazing friends and create so many cool things, is like you listen first. Like you don't just like, it is very much of the ego to think that like, oh my God, just whatever I say is going to like anoint those around me. Most people you really love or really cherish or really feel give you what you need are people who are in tune to your needs and you can't have that type of attunement without listening. And so I think to me, I'm always trying to listen to my friends or listen to like what I overhear on the street or listen to how my mom is not able to communicate with my brother or is, or what my, you know, friends that live here are going through in relation to my friends that go here, live here. And I think for this book, one of the things that I feel I've been confronted with a lot lately is that there's one page in the book and I'll probably butcher it, but it says when the material is at the center of my goals, I find that even if I'm in first place, there's some loneliness there. Mm. Whereas when the relational is at the center of my goals, whether I'm first or last and have the trophy, I'm the thing that's held. Mm. And I think this idea that we, like us being held, especially the people who are used to doing the holding or used to being the glue or used to holding the frame, like how do we create work, life, all these things that we try to balance or harmonize, Mm how do we do it in service to being what's held in the end and holding others? And so it's been really interesting even to want to practice what I preach. Yeah. You know, it's funny how life has a way of, it's funny when you were, when you were talking about that before, like that life right now is giving you everything that this book, yeah. like the tools in the book sort of yeah. you know, are testing. I sometimes think about that when I think like, oh, you know, I have this wrong with me, like it's sort of more in the wellness front, like I have this wrong with me. And so I'm going to do a bunch of research and try a bunch of stuff and try to figure out like how to get through it, whether it's an emotional thing or whether it's like an adrenal fatigue thing yeah. or whatever the case may be. And then I started getting paranoid, like, is it okay to be that person? Like, is the universe going to keep giving me weird things to heal because I'm like the seeker? Like, I don't, I don't want (laughs) to be that. And there's something, you know, a lot of what, if I even had to put one undercurrent in the whole of remember love, it is that we are just so much more similar to, to nature. Like you were just so much you are so similar to like the tree on your walk than you yeah. are to anything kind of like streaming in this man-made world of like our phones. Mm-hmm. And like in nature, everything is in process and processes. And like mm-hmm. online, we process very little and then get into community, which is very, very difficult. And the thing is, is that when you're part of what, I don't know, I feel when you say that is like maybe what you're being called on is to just have a relationship with repair. Yes. You know, and that like we maybe we're built to break and break down just like, you know, I don't think the tree thinks there's something wrong with it when its leaves fall. I just don't. Yeah. And I think that we are seasonal and the life that runs through us is seasonal. Yeah. And I think that that doesn't mean your lifespan is seasonal. Like I don't actually believe in like the winter of your life meaning age, but I think that there's winters consistently throughout your year or your years 
And I think there's springs and I think there's falls. And I think that the nature of how we interact with our bodies spiritually is something that is very, very natural. And so there's, Mm. if we can release the judgment of like, there's something wrong with me or I am broken and replace it with this is different. Where's like the information in this? And, and, and if I believe that in, in my differences, I find information. Yeah. And I believe that that information can lead me to wisdom. Isn't that the best kind of path? I had such an aha moment like that when once you were doing a talk when we were in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And you there was a prompt. Yeah. What was that? That was, so I had been really struggling with like this whole, you know, it was like a whole bunch of chronic stuff. And I was feeling broken and really debilitated physically, which also is really hard. I mean, it's hard for anybody, but I think when you are kind of pushing back against like the stuff that makes you vulnerable because it's sort of how you get through, you know, it's like, I don't want to constantly in every moment of my life be like delving into the hardest parts and like the broken parts. And, and so oftentimes how I've you know, I'm like, there's a time and a place for that. But right now I just have to work my ass off and have to be strong and just keep going. And so it was like particularly demoralizing to be feeling for a couple of years. Like I'm not, I don't have my vitality. I don't have my vibrancy. I'm not the same. I'm not thinking clearly. Like what the fuck is wrong with me? And you, you gave that prompt with Sade and I had one of those like mega epiphanies where instead, instead of saying like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I switched to, I am healing. Yeah. And it like opened up such a gentle, like wide swath of field where I could just relate differently to what I was going through and give myself that grace of like, this might not feel good and it yeah. might feel, but it's okay to, and just the power of being able to reframe which is an experience that I have over and over reading your book which I've now read twice and it's one of your true gifts is like yes you know as you say like okay everything's been said or thought before but you just have this particular way of like making something so simple and revolutionary at the same time and like helping reframe and that's why I think your work is so popular and resonant because it's like you just sort of plug something right into the to the guts and it's like oh I am her she is me I see her she is me like I can do this there's this incredible like galvanizing property in your words too well without lots of shoulds or anything you know well it's really funny because I always like do a sweep for should every time I'm writing. I I always do. I'm like, I never, I do a sweep for should, even if I send a text, like, you know, because I think to me, the thing that people need, because I know I need it is to be affirmed that where you are is okay. And actually like you cannot heal before, unless you can first be honest about where you are. Mm -hmm. And so I think so much of why people's healing is either, prolonged or, or they're like kind of suffering is prolonged is because first they can't say like 
this is what is like troubling me and this is what hurts. And like, I can't be truly honest about like what hurts and all of the reasons why I could be feeling this way on top of what my body may be going through or whatever. Because I do think that you do have to begin with self-kindness. And that seems like a really fundamental thing, but it's true. And it is profoundly kind to say, I get why you feel that way. And I think that like it's really hard in a lot of our communities where we are just kind of living in really unprocessed ways. And I feel like people are always like, is everything you write so optimistic or how do you get to this place? And I'm like, well, I do really sit to process. And by process, I mean like I go on a walk and I think about it and I call my friends about it. And I, you know, really like I really consider why I feel how I feel and what I think is helpful in this moment towards beloved community if I am going to put something into the public space. And so I think whether it's with this book or whether it's online, I think first and foremost, I just try to be a friend to whoever's reading my book. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the role in my life that I take the most pride in. Like I really, anytime anyone's ever asked me, like, what are the things you're the most proud of in your life? I do say my friendships and I include that in the one I have with my partner and even my tiny little kids. I'm just so proud of the ways that I can be a friend to them, see them for who they are, meet them where they're at, give them space to grow and change, you know, meet their kind of suffering or moments of insecurity with non-judgmentalism so that we can kind of ride it out. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of, to me, why so much of the work I maybe translates to other people is because... I don't think I'm really different in my writing than I probably would be to my closest friend. That's true. But it's hard. I do think what's missing is kind of the self-kindness, though. I think that's the – if anyone – I'm sure you get that all the time of, like, what's your number one self-care you know, care or whatever? And I'm like, well, damn, first and foremost, start with being nice to yourself. Like, can you just be kind? Because through kindness, you can find your real need. But if you're bullying yourself or judging yourself, it's like no matter what mm. you think the need is, like that's not it. Mm. Like you you might think it's like, I don't know, personal trainer, this, therapy, this, da-da-da-da, but you end up going to the wrong therapist. You end up doing the wrong thing, like the, the thing that's wrong for you, you know, because you didn't start from like there, there. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. When people ask me that, I always like, what's the biggest wellness tip you can give me? I always say, forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. Because God, the, the layers of guilt and shame and self-harm, the things we say to ourselves, like 
I think it's it's quite radical to really actually forgive yourself. And I'm not, I haven't, you know, there are times when it works and there are yeah. times when it doesn't work. But when I can let go of that, mm-hmm. like let go of that punitive, you know, like squashing down yeah, and just say, you know, yeah, I'm, I made that choice that I don't feel good about and I, I forgive myself. And in fact, you say, I think in the book too, do you say that every day, You've sort of like the Hawaiian forgiveness prayer yeah, you say do. you do. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm like, may may I forgive? May I do? But one of the things that like, even if, because you know, what something I really, I feel I learn a lot by being someone who works mostly with words is like, what words people struggle with just even when the word is said. Like what, and what, so, what are they? So forgiveness, I think, is right. hard. Vulnerability, I think, is hard. Shame, I think, is hard. I'm sorry is hard. Like these mm-hmm. are things that people have really, really charged. long, charged relationships with. And so sometimes it's like even sometimes instead of like forgiveness, I'll say let yourself have a past. Mm. Like, And so there's this one. I didn't expect to do a poetry reading on the Goop pod, Please but I'm do. going to. And it says, it's called Everything That's Happened. There are some very large letting goes to do. People, places, honeyed and bitter phases of life. There are some even larger letting goes to do. Anger, tears, parts of yourself that leave with no return. Have a past. Everything that's happened cannot be held today. Mm. And it's like... Mm. To me, that is self-forgiveness is saying like Mm. everything I've been through lives in there and it is somewhere even if like, you know, I have this relationship with letting it go, but it's like I'm not going to hold it in every moment and in every conversation. Therefore, like the places where I have a relationship where I'm figuring out how to forgive myself, I don't have to be confronted with them in every conversation where I'm like, I got triggered by this thing because I've had this thing happen to me. Let yourself have a past. Let yourself have things that do not live with you in every present moment. Because when you do that, you're free. You're also, in that you can live in contradiction, in that you can live a life of multitudes and varied colors and and, and, and everything doesn't have to be in this kind of binary of black and white or wrong or right or, you know, this part of yourself makes sense with this part of yourself. You really get to liberate yourself from... Everything you've gone through. And I think to be able to do that in this life, even if you can only do it for a moment at a time, is is a worthwhile mm. act. And we we can give ourselves the permission to sort of be reborn every moment. Yes. I, I feel like there was a, a really profound moment I had. And I think, you know, it's so weird because I keep being like, I didn't share any parts of this book with my friends as I was writing it, but I think I did send you this part. As I was writing it, there's this page that is, when I was pregnant, this healer had said to me, your daughter's birth will be your rebirth. Mm -hmm. And I had never considered the idea that we are reborn many times in this life. Like I'd considered reincarnation and understand that kind of soulful connection you have because your backgrounds are totally different or your everything about you is different, but you're just connected to someone. So I believe in those kind of previous lives landing and joining today or in this mm-hmm. community, this time. But I never thought about the idea of being truly reborn and being new, like phases. Yes. Like different 
eras, if you will, sure. But the idea of rebirth, meaning that you go through a time of being born and you're so fragile and everything's so different and you need different things and the same people Mm -hmm. don't make you feel safe or, you know, there are people that you feel really attracted to being around or there's like, I, I think it creates this catalyst of all these different things you shed because you're just a different person. Mm. And and I wish that I would have had that type of language of like, no, I'm going through a rebirth when I didn't have, you know, quit my day jobs to to write. And and then and I wish that I would have had that. I think even sometimes when I moved to LA, even though it was a time I had my kids where I was like, mm, my relationships, a lot of the ones I have just feel funky. And there's a shed happening and it's a reshifting happening and it's not a rejection of any one specific person but a just overall blanket need for really warm energies that make me feel okay in this in in, the, in my own fragility mm-hmm. and i just wasn't afraid to have those needs i guess in that moment though i struggled with having them as far as like, oh, I'm a bad person, and does that mean? Or like, oh, I know their feelings are hurt, and what point is like, you know, if you're trying to get away from hurting someone's feeling, but it leads to your own self-betrayal, like, how does it, you know, how are we supposed to walk that balance of like wanting to be the kind person, but what happens when you're the kind person to everybody but yourself? But I, I wish in that moment, too, I would have been like, no, I'm having a rebirth, and it just would have been non-judgmental all across and I wouldn't have even had to I wouldn't have had to judge myself especially Mm. so what would you do next time like if you felt if you felt that and or if you felt like for example there were I would emphasize that I'm clear on my needs and I understand if it is hard for you for the other people Instead, I was kind of like, I'm busy. I can't. I don't want to. I don't, you know, you you think of these other, you almost try to build your case rather than just being like, I'm clear. Like, I don't need, like, I don't need to complain or explain anything. Yeah. Because, like, if I'm complaining or I'm explaining, I'm, I'm not clear. And when I'm clear, I can give context and I can give love and I can keep it moving. And mm-hmm. so I think in the next kind of rebirth, I would just emphasize my clarity and that my clarity is never something I live in to harm others, but to actually respect myself. Yeah. Beautiful. And there also is a difference at having a rebirth, even if you're not calling it that, at 21 versus 27 versus 35. Like we we learn so much along the way and learn so much about who we are if we're, as you say, listening, right? And and I do think that we should give ourselves the permission to reimagine, okay, like, who do I want to be in this? I always think in chapters, you know, because yeah. when I look back, I think, oh, that was that chapter mm-hmm. I lived, you know, in elementary school in LA, and that was a chapter of high school in New York, and that was, mm-hmm. you know, the chapter of living in London. And I think we do live in chapters in a sense. And, and I've had these huge rebirths at the end of every single one of these chapters. And, and what I would maybe add is it's chapters and perhaps there's like part one and part two and part three and part four. Maybe those parts represent the rebirth and like the new kind of story that like happens where it is a part of the same book, but it just is very different than part one, which still had 20 chapters, sure, you know? And so I think that this idea that the we, volumes, the yeah, chapters, the volumes. exactly. <laughs> like, so that we can, 
just be, I think, you know, you and I talk about this all the time. It's like, how do we just liberate and feel as free as possible? And I think whatever kind of metaphors or things you need, just expand them as much as possible so that it's really, you're you're really letting yourself say it's okay to feel how Mm. you feel. And you're likely not alone. Definitely not. You know. No. So when we started talking, you were saying how this book is like 25% about friendship. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you said? Kind of? It is. Is that what she said, Phil? Yeah. I'd say friendship relationship. Yeah. It's Phil. Phil. (laughs) Back me up. (laughs) Yeah. I'd say that it's a big, I'd say that, so the book is in four parts and the first part is called Eventually We Get There. And that's kind of all about really it for anyone who's just in the thick of change, maybe feeling lost, maybe feeling like somebody put their light on a dimmer and they're just wondering how to kind of find it again, find their kind of brightness or light or love of self. And I think part in part two is called Worthy Rebellions. And Worthy Rebellions is all about this kind of like how did we how do we have big dreams go after our big dreams while also centering the things that will likely give us long-term joy and and even personal safety right mm-hmm. like that's what community does i think i emphasize love in my writing and if i had to give love certain pillars to help divide, define it i would say safety is one and in safety you find community so I really love to speak to community because I feel that that is how we find love together and Mm -hmm. in our own personal experiences. And so for so much of, you know, the worthy rebellions, I, we had a close friend have a tragedy in her family over the past few days. And I, I was saying that, you know, I just kind of, I mean, I know, you know, it's like when you're getting ready to release something into the world, there's so many things you have to do to prepare it. And I just kind of, stopped everything because I didn't want to sabotage myself by any means, but I also wanted to be like where my long-term relationships Mm -hmm. call on me to be rather than like what any type of, Mm -hmm. no matter how beautiful or like, you know, you hope everything you make lives and lasts forever for people. (laughs) But for your little life, you know, you really know to find your own people and you have to go to them when they when they need you because all success is short-lived. I don't, you know, and maybe you have multiple short-lived successes, but ever it is a really, I think material success is, is a only a journey of highs and lows. And I can tell you right now that if I, I could name 10 of your friends right now that I know, and you wouldn't tell me that you and Mary have had highs and lows. Like that's just, that's real sustaining relationships that like help you and love you and are there for you like they just you wouldn't you just wouldn't say they have highs and lows and it's really but you'd say your business has had highs and lows you've said your creative endeavors have had anything you're making that's not relational and some relationships do but by the way some of those are the ones we try to get out of yeah what Um, about in your romantic isn't that supposed to is that supposed to have highs and lows i mean brad and i have no highs and lows i always thought maybe there's something wrong with us well i would say that you i think that's a very healthy thing you do i always think like oh okay well we don't fight or yell at each other ever or anything yeah but you know what i think with you and brad i think that 
what's really cool about your dynamic is that neither of you need to be provoked for expression. Mm. And so I think for a lot of people, they struggle to express themselves without being provoked. Therefore, they create scenarios in which they you are need provoked. need to be provoked. That's and so, so brilliant. I think when you're, you know, like you don't like, you only need like three minutes for Brad to tell you how he's going to feel, trust, yeah, do you know? True, and yeah. like, that's why he's such a joy to be around. Yeah. And like, I think you have done so much work in your life to remove the barrier of saying how you feel or being really honest or like calling out the need or. And I've gone too know. far now in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> what did your brother say? Oh yeah, what did he say? He so said, like, oh my God, yeah. I was like, I snapped at someone and he He's went, like, she, she bites. bites. <laughs> she bites. But, you know, it is clear. And I do think that there's like a lot of respect and clarity because it's actually never mean it is just clear. And so I think that That's that true. is why clarity and like true secure. And, and, and by the way, we can only be every moment of who we are and we have secure attachment, you know, and totally. I think. Recently, I saw some article, maybe it was in The Atlantic, where they were talking about what like a super friend is. Did you see that article? But they were saying this seems very you. Very. They were like the one quality that a super friend has is like extremely secure attachment. Yeah. Like there's not the, if you don't text back, they're going to be really you know, try to either poke at you or or try to under, you know, all those things of like, or it, it questioned them. Like, I think this idea that you can trust that like your friends love you and you're mm-hmm. not ever taking their actions personally by them merely living their lives yeah. is critical. And, it, and it's critical even with kids, you know, it's like you can't feel like the kids love you less if they're not texting from school. But isn't that sort of like you're just on some level, you haven't resolved your own stuff. So you're projecting or putting, you know, your safety or comfort in the hands of like other people. I think you, it's really hard to trust that the love is there for people unless somebody is consistently telling them it is. Mm. And I think that like, if we can give trust to the dynamic and and in that it's hard it's a lot of insecurities you have to work through you have to work through this insecurity exactly. that like i trust that like we're cool mm. and because why else would we be friends we don't have to be friends so like anyone could be in community with whomever they want for the most part mm-hmm. so we're cool why would i like why would i what why would i inject this with doubt because mm-hmm. someone is being in a relationship with me in a way that also works for them and what they have going on mm. Do you know? But I think that's hard for people. Yeah. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. So I know you've sort of been in life, as have I, kind of had some friendships that you've moved away from and had to sort of deal with, like, the repercussions of that. Has Have you ever had a friend move away from you? I have definitely, you know, liked someone and been like, 
we should get together. And then they never wanted to get together. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, and, and it's not that, or you have, you thought you had the best time. And, and I was actually laughing about this earlier today. Cause I was saying that like, you know, so many friendships are romance, like really like they're love stories yeah. and there's romance and like, they're not, you know, just because something isn't a, doesn't include a sexual dynamic doesn't mean it's not this incredibly romantic love story where you're also kind of dating and it's also kind of sparkly and then the spark wears off and like there's the thing and so I have definitely felt like I've gone on the best date ever with a friend you know and then they were like didn't call me back so that definitely happens and because of that I think give yourself permission for something to not be right for you or right for you in that moment because yeah. somebody else gives themselves permission. You have to respect, I respect what that, the, that who, those people yeah. did because I respect myself when I'm like, no, I liked them, but you know, we could have maybe dinner once a month, but I don't want to be talking to you every day. Yeah. Like, and sometimes it's the way that people want to be, have a friendship with you is it may be the only reason why you can't be mm -hmm. friends because they might want to, you know, like be at your house every day and you're like, I have to put these kids to bed. Mm -hmm. Like, or I've got to, like, so if you're not helping, mm -hmm. you got to go. Like, or they want to go out every night and you're like, I got to put these kids to bed. So I think that it's, sometimes it is purely just a mis mismatched desires for mm. the relationship. And it's, and that makes it extra non-personal. Yeah. I, I ask you these questions because you're a legendary friend. You're an amazing <laughs> friend. And, and not only is like the essence of friendship such a part of this book, but I found it so cool when you told me how the book tour, you were kind of incorporating this friendship element with Whitney, with Bumble, with right? Whitney. So I call up Whitney because I'm like, well, Whitney and I always talk about how we're obsessed with trying to help people make friends. <laughs> like, I think that's her, one of her truest passions because Whitney is also such a connective loving friend. She's yes, the first she person who's going to say, oh my God, you've got to meet this person or I've got to like, and it's very pure. It's Selfless. Very, and, it really is. Yeah. And it's so kind, the, the ways in which she does it, because she truly, I wrote this thing once that said something like, generosity never thinks past the moment. Hmm. Like her generosity, like truly does never thinks past the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think to be that generous, especially with connecting others is so beautiful. That reminds me of what you said one time, which is sort of the inverse when you were talking about like friends who are so generous and yes. giving, 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 but that there was still like need for some people yeah. in, how did you put it? Wanting to give is still wanting. Right. It's like there is unfortunately like a way in which there's like a almost like my friend Jenna would call it like secret desires. It's like the things that we can't even admit to ourselves yeah. that are a part of us. Like she says, you know, every time you get really sick, there's a secret desire to slow down. Yep. Like be, that's why I used attention. to break my toes all the time. Yeah. I think. <laughs> that is so crazy. So crazy. <laughs> And then my mom and brother, we all break our toes. We have these like long, thin toes and we've each like what's a stub for someone else is a break for us. But there was a period of time where I was like breaking my toes all the time. And I thought, well, there was a lot going on, yeah. but I thought, okay, someone's really trying to tell me to slow yeah. down here. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, go back um, to what you were saying. And there's a secret desire to center and control. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. and that doesn't make the person a bad person or their generosity, like their desire to be generous any less loving. But in it, there is a... It's loaded with... Yeah. And it's, and it's hard because to me, like, if I wanted to give you this... G-label sweater I've on right now. If I wanted to give you this sweater... I would take it. I need another one anyway. It's not up to me how you want to wear it. In giving it to you, the most loving thing I can do is say, do what you want with it. If you wanted to give it to somebody else, like, but you get to be you with like how mm. I give to you. Mm. And I think a lot of the times with that type of generosity, it's a little, you're like, oh, well, do I have to do things on these certain terms? Do I still, like, even if I didn't ask for it, but there were wants I had, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't ask for this generosity, but I have certain wants in it. How do I have my own agency in this? Like, has this person's generosity stripped me of agency? Yeah. And that also happens. Yeah, amazing. Do you know? I just wanted to, yeah. Um, Whitney, but, by the way, is the opposite of this, which yes. is what reminded me of. Yes. She, anyway, she so. is very much like generosity does not think past the moment. And I would say she's really thinking about it when she does it. It comes really just like a natural like it comes almost like in one of her natural tasks in a way. She's like an idea generator in a way that I've rarely seen in my life. Like yes. ideas come straight through her all the yeah. time. I think that was one of the things that I loved hearing her talk about was when she said, someone said like, how do you prioritize it? Or like, how do you like, you know, hold, like decide what idea to use? And she was like, you are only as powerful as your like ability to prioritize your ideas. She was like, because if you're an idea person, you have them all the time and you have to be like, okay, two years from now, six months from now, yeah. three days from now. And anyway, so I called Whitney and I said- Who's the founder of who's Bumble? Who's the founder of Bumble? And I said, I really wanna, well, it was really weird because first I posted something from this book when I started kind of sharing it. And she was like, I gotta use this for Bumble for Friends. Like we've got to like, this like, all I wanna do is just like start with people loving themselves. And I was like, well, I'm going on my tour and my tours are really intimate spaces. You know, I don't tour in big stadiums. They're really like centered. I don't stand on a stage. I like, I am really in it with who's who's there and I tour with my girlfriends. And so like, you know, Shiona's doing my first tour stop in LA and Diara was, is doing it in Texas and Simone's, you know, a, a lot. I mean, you know, most of my girlfriends who are doing it and my friend Lindsay Peoples is doing it in New York. And, but I thought about like, you know, to me, to me, the only reason I like enjoy touring is one, it's amazing to support our local bookstores in a really important way. And like, what can we do once we're here? You know, other tours, I've registered voters or had these kind of community times. And so for this one, I called Whitney and I was like, what if we created this like friendship hour at every tour where people who are feeling alone or feeling like they were maybe going to come by themselves, like we had, I wrote prompts for like conversations and we made these really cute name tags and Cameron and Catherine gave Aveline wine and like, and so so we kind of, I kind of called up a bunch of my girlfriends and said like, how do we contribute to a space that is intentionally for friends, mm. for making friends. Because to me, like, you know, especially now, I've never toured having kids. And if I'm ever away from my kids, like, it needs to be more important than me. Yeah. You know, at, like, I feel really lucky that I had my kids at the same time as I had so many close friends' kids going away to school. And so I really never take for granted. Like, I just don't. I am, like, with mm. them as you know, so much, but Mm -hmm. it's like, I was just, 
you know, holding your hand when Apple left for yes. school. And so it really <laughs> helped me to like know that it was to know, fleeting to, you know yeah. and 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 it is god damn yeah. it is so it goes so. and so for me i was like even if i'm gonna be away from my kids for four days yeah. cause, like the travel would be too much for them how do i make this something that is like bigger than mm. this book or helps really contextualize this book into real life you so know what we have it. not talked about a lot together is postpartum depression mm-hmm. and i had it with moses yeah. you had it yeah. with Memphis, right? Mm-hmm. I had it with both. You had it with both. both. I remember when you had just had Memphis and I didn't know you as well as I know you yeah. now. And you came to my house and I was like, oh my God, she's in the throes of this. And yeah. I didn't know you well enough to say like, I can smell this on you. And yeah. I know like, and, ha- and, and it's funny because I think back to that moment and I think I will never do that again like yeah. I will never not say something again it's because it's happened to me I I can see it I literally can smell it yeah, I can't explain it. I, I mean f- I think everyone feels the experiences they've had in others and I think sometimes we block our ability to refeel it because it's so hard but I think if you do the work to kind of like stay open so that you can always access empathy and compassion from your own experiences to lend them to others it's just like you really feel it like I think you know I feel it anytime I'm in conversation with another black woman who I can tell is the only black woman in a room often or you know even if you meet someone from like the south and they live in New York or LA like there's just certain things you feel you you if you've experienced it you know it so and 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 is it your advice to always sort of say it I think we can only say what we feel people can hear and I think but try like go for it do it I think yes and I think that figure out where and how they could hear it so like it's whether it's being like because there's so many ways to express like I see you're in something right so it may not be like I'm going to grab your arm at the end of this, like sitting together and saying like, I can tell da, 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 because you don't know if that person's been able to admit it to themselves. Yeah. But I think what I would say is ever since then, you've always checked on me. And I think that that's actually the same thing. And I think right. that we can release the like ways in which we think that everything needs to be confronted right. because sometimes like the most gentle thing to do is say like, I'm going to keep checking on her. Do you know? Yeah. And so and I think that's just as impactful, like mm-hmm. given how people react to certain things. Mm. What did having that, like what did traversing through that experience tell you about yourself? Like in my case, I really thought, I, I came to understand that there was a lot of stuff that I hadn't fully healed yet, especially around like the grief of losing my father. Like there was, and, and he just like, he kicked up a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Did you have that or was it? More abstract? I didn't know. I never realized how much shame I had in moving slowly. Mm. Like, I didn't, I, like, had a lot of, I think for me, I really assigned a lot of my value to what I could get done in a day. Like, Mm. for my work, for myself, for my friends. And I think a lot of what I healed through acknowledging postpartum depression was that I was allowed to be loved even if I wasn't doing Mm. by myself and by others. 
But what specifically about like the that feeling led you to that? You know, it's really crazy because I opened the book by saying like how I arrived at the title of the book, which was that I was, I think one thing I think people tend to do when they're, you know, because I've got, you know, we move, you know, anxiety and depression all live in this like spectrum. So you move through waves of depression in your life, anxiety. I was certainly very depressed after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And I've definitely moved through bouts of anxiety always. And I think when you have a relationship with those things, when you're feeling like what you would say, like funky or off or blue, you start to do the things that you feel usually help. Mm. And I think it's when those things don't help is when you probably need to ask for help. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, you know what, I'm going to end the day early and I'm just going to like get in the bathtub and listen to Tara Brock and the best, the best. you know, I love, love. we love our we TV. Love, we love her. <laughs> and so I did and I sat there and I was kind of listening. I had like, you know, I'd also had, you know, like I had been really sick even like right before. I, I remember when I was pregnant with Memphis towards the end, I was on book tour and I got really sick while I was pregnant. But so I'm kind of listening. I'm kind of not. And I hear her just in a sentence say, remember love. And it really jolted me. Like it was also even like sometimes, you know, people have written me things being like this, these words changed my life when you wrote this thing. And I was always like, wow, that's so cool. But and like, and I had that in this moment where I was like this it was like the mantra I needed because I realized that I was being so cruel to myself mm. because I was not the same. And I had profoundly changed or was going through a period where I was really different. And I was angry that I wasn't the same. So I didn't get to know myself where I was, mm-hmm. you know, like that's why in that kind of part one of eventually we get there, it's like, I write this kind of really short poem that says, like, it's simple. Every time you change, you get to know yourself again. Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't that one. taken the time to get to know mm-hmm. myself in this period. I was like, oh, now the bath isn't even working. Or did it? Like, nothing's working. Nothing's working. But it was actually because I needed to, like, really get to know myself where I was. Like, you know, what am I really feeling when I'm not, like, even beneath the, like, judgment and the cruelty and the shame and the, like, like, why do I feel shame about moving slowly? Why do I feel shame when I'm being and feel that, like, you know, there's another poem in the book that says, like, can I love myself when, like, my life is a walk and it's not, and I haven't just, like, crossed, like, you know, like, where the medal's not around my neck and, like, I haven't, like, I haven't won something. You know, like, because even sometimes we feel like we won the day. Like, we came through, we did it, da 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 Like, there's so much pride, I think, we hold in being a superwoman. And that person is doesn't get to be human. Mm. And if anything, we're told that this person functions for to save other people, even if it means killing herself. Yeah. And so I think I had a lot of, like, I think when I could sit and hear that, because to me, I heard remember love, and I was like, wow, can I remember love? Like... Every time I'm having this horrible thought about, like, why are you this and why are you that? And I'm picking on myself. Can I, like, remember love in that moment and be like, damn, what would I say if somebody said that to my friend? Like, I would be like, don't talk to her that way. And, like, no matter, you know, if someone can't, like, you don't have to take that, do you know? And so I think for me that feeling, really feeling it that day really helped me to create a system to really help me 
through it. It helped me to connect with my therapist differently. It helped me to connect with my friends differently. It helped for me to ask for things in a different way. It helped give me permission to take things off of my plate and know that like actually moving slowly was like the biggest thing I needed to heal. Mm. And so much of what we think we're not healing is us trying to like live at a pace that like grinds us to dust and like can we repace like and is the only thing your healing's asking you to do is repace and do less and be in like the sun more and like have fresh air more often and mm-hmm. like that might be it maybe like the system you're trying to like turn into a success is broken and it's not you was that the moment that the germination of the book came to you with the with when you heard those words well you know I'd had such severe burnout right before this right when I was in the last trimester of Memphis I was like I am so burnt out like I toured with her you know we had to live in London for part of it we like I was moving between here and New York and it was just so much because basically I'd signed like I think I committed to my next three books and found I was pregnant like a week later and so I was like oh my god And so I didn't really, you know, I was kind of at a place where I was like, I don't, like, you know me, I'm not like, what is my next book? Like, I don't write about anything I don't feel. Like, I have a really kind of, to me, I feel I have such, I really worked hard to have a high integrity relationship with my readers. So, like, they know I'm not trying to, like, sell them some new idea. Like, I'm not trying to hack heartbreak or give them, like, 10 reasons how to do something. Like... I care about their lives. And I was like, wow, I have nothing to give right now. Mm -hmm. And I always just try to provide something for them. But I was like, so I didn't know, I didn't think I wanted to write anything because I just didn't have it. And then that day did happen. And I was like, I wrote on a post-it that next day that I still have that says, please remember love. And I put it on the top of a board and I was like, maybe something could start to come from this. But it it still took probably a year. Mm. Like, I don't think I really started thinking about, like, how could I, you know, bring the experiences of, of what I'm feeling into a book until probably after Bayou. And so, but I had the post-it and I just kept it. And I kept, and I'd kind of write little ideas down of, like, what I, what was helping me, what I thought was helpful some things I felt like I never said and always wanted to say. And so I just started keeping all of the ideas there. And then I think maybe a year and a half later, I started Mm -hmm. to write it as Remember Love. And do you feel like being a mother has changed you as a poet? Being a mother taught me that, taught me one thing for certain, which is that the love of self is our birthright. Like that I knew for sure. Like I, if I could say that like there's one thing I learned that is like an absolute truth because it doesn't matter how much time you spend with kids until you live with a child from their birth and watch them, what you witness is true immediate love of self and delight in, in who one is. Like mm-hmm. so my daughters, they just don't care what they – like what they look like or what they're doing or how they are behaving it's all a delight to them and they really love themselves like you feel that and because I saw that I was like wow there is a place to return to like it isn't like it it really isn't like we've got to just glob onto all this stuff and bring it into us because then we'll know love it's like no you really do kind of like that roomy poem or whatever that's like 
take move through the things you've built between you and love. Like it is just there. Like you were born with it. It is like there is just no doubt in my mind at all that like any moment you don't feel love of self, you have to start figuring out what is the block between you and it because it is absolutely there and available to you. How about if I read a poem? I'm going to video you reading it. Okay. Don't cry on camera. I'm sorry. I'm just going to I'm already like how, how did you, you could already feel me starting to cry? Of course. <sighs> okay. We cannot only build empires. We must build homes, places our eyes can close and find warmth by the fire. Our hearts cannot survive in skyscrapers. Our hearts want to leave their shoes at the door of a nearby forest and follow the trail. Our hearts want to feel the hum of the hummingbird and the busy mind. It needs sun and sky. It begs to hear the nearby stream wash over its endless thoughts. Of course, I cannot forget the body. It told me to tell you it would like to dance and run free. Also, it kindly requested a quiet squeeze and an I love you as soon as you get a chance. Oh my God. That's so beautiful. So sweet. That was one of the last poems I added in the book. A story about that poem is a few years ago, I'm talking to Sade, our very dear friend Sade Lithcott, and I'm, I'm in the period of burnout I was just talking about. Okay. And I'm like, and I, you know, I don't know... I don't know if it's like, I think one of the hardest things is to, and I feel like I want to say that it's like, especially if you, you know, come from nothing, but I think everyone really deals with it. Like I think Simon deals with it is getting just like opportunity jacked where like your opportunities dictate your path rather than you. Mm. Oh, um, yes. And then you're just kind of like, whoa, how did I end up here? Like it just, of course, because anyone would like it, anyone would want it, but do I want it? And I had got kind of gotten to that place in my work, I think, especially because like really early on, I think people really like, you know, wanted to say like that I think because the way in which I was doing poetry and, and sharing and creating things like I think it's very odd that as like a poet, I was on like Fast Company's 100 People in Business. Like that's very odd, actually. Do you it's know what cool. I mean? It's cool. It's baller. So, and so I think for me, I was like, of course I should be doing, this is like, I should be thinking about how to make this into a business. And sure, like there could be these really cool ways and ideas to have if they come naturally and organically to me, but it shouldn't be like something I chased because somebody else said, yeah. this would work so well for that. Right. And I'd gotten to this place where I'd, I just found out I was pregnant with Bayou and I think I had just, oh, remember I did the kids' book tour online? Yes. And so the best. Most people didn't know that on, it was during COVID, so it was all online, but I was hiding my belly and I was four months pregnant. And I, after that kind of blitz of doing that, I was like, I am just, I cannot, like, my burnout's been re triggered. I like, but I'm talking to Sade, and I said, I was like, you know, I just feel like I'm caught into doing, building these things I don't wanna build or do. And she said to me, she said, you know, Cleo, like your whole life, I feel, has been devoted to like how grateful you are that you found a home 
within yourself and and even like in your tiny apartments that you'd have people go to are you always like you know even if I have like a birthday dinner I don't want to do it at my big team I'm trying to cram everybody into some little table and <laughs> and like and so I think for me she said you want to build homes and she said an empire is the opposite of a home like it just does not um, so I think this, it just doesn't function the same things on an assembly line. It, it can't be personal. There can't be this, like, touch to every little thing. And so she's like, you're always going to feel burnt out if you're trying to align those things. And so I wanted to write something in the book about this idea of, like, I felt like the, that story was hard to tell because every time I wrote it, I feel that I was justifying or explaining. I'm not judging people who want to bring in, build an empire because it's beautiful if that's your that's what you have in you, you know, because everyone's like gifts and big dream is worthy. And so I couldn't quite land it, the plane trying to write about it. But then so I decided to kind of write it into a poem instead of prose. And I, I did. And it ended up being that poem at the probably one of the last three things I added into the book was that poem. And it really feels like, I think, a mantra for so many who might be caught or feeling like, the only way to survive this time is hustle and grind culture. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that it gives people permission to repace and say, like, even if I want to build the biggest possible empire dream, whatever, there's a place where, like, I have to have a home. Mm -hmm. And even if I don't know what that home looks like, I could probably start by going outside and putting my feet in the earth, this place where I come from, and that was really my kind of great hope, I think, for my reader, is that poem. Thanks for listening to Cleo and me today. Her new book, Remember Love, is out now, and it is such a beauty. To get tickets to meet Cleo and her friends on their friendship tour, head to cleowade.com. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. 